0: to Jonah, chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. Jonah chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. And as you're doing that, I'll just share a couple of my thoughts. I, I love when... Uh, Listening to Justin's testimony, because as he's talking and I, I think about it as he's sharing, I, I, don't, I don't, I can't remember how old he is, but being a dad and having kids—that's what I pray for. I pray that the Lord saves them and that He gives them a passion to want to follow Jesus and be a part of a, a local church and. Uh, I pray that prayer all the time for folks in our church but as he's sharing i'm just thinking you know one we're in the king's academy and he's talking about being in the king's academy and uh, also being a part of our church early on at the cave which you can ask somebody else about that Um, it just encourages my heart because the way in which god works where he sows seeds and um, i just imagine listening to Justin talk, that his parents sowed a lot of seeds. The churches that he went to, they, they sowed a lot of seeds. And the school that he went to has sown a, a lot of seeds into his life. And we get to sow seeds, but ultimately our hope is that God saves. And he does. And that's encouraging. And I'm grateful to God for uh, that young pastor that invited you. Uh, to his home and had the courage to share the gospel and lead you through all those things. And I'm grateful to God for all the people that have uh, been in your life to help prepare the soil to receive God's grace. And at the same time as he's talking, I'm just thinking, everybody's got a testimony like that. It's, it's going to look a little bit different, but everybody's got a testimony. Who I mean by everybody, everybody who's been saved. Uh, has a testimony of God's grace in their life, of how God uh, saved them. And some people recognize it in that moment, and some people, it's kind of like, if they've grown up in a Christian home, sometimes it just feels like they were always saved, and there's some significant moments of, of God's grace. But I'm just, I'm grateful to God for his mercy and his grace upon not just Justin's life, but all of our lives, and the fact that he would be so kind to save us and give us the hope of eternal life. And so, Justin, thanks for sharing that. You did a great job. And he also lets you in on a little secret. If there's something you want to share that you don't want to be proofread, and you want to get it in, you just put me on the spot like that up front. You did an excellent job with that. Anyways, uh, Jonah chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. Let me read these. And the people of Nineveh, Believed God. Now the context there, just so you know if you weren't here, uh, Jonah went into Nineveh and he he shared some bad news with them. He went in and spoke God's word to the Ninevites that in 40 days they were going to be overthrown. Judgment was coming upon them. And he shared some other things which we'll get into in just a moment. But anyways, verse 5 again. And the people, when they heard Jonah say these things, they believed God. so that we might not perish. When God saw what they did. How they turned from their evil way. God relented. Of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father please bless the preaching of your word. Please please soften our hearts. Lord may there not be a hard heart in this room. But instead, Lord, take your word and just sow it deep into our hearts that it might bear fruit. That it might grow faith. That it might grow repentance. Or that it might grow just this seriousness in regards to our walk with Christ. That it might grow this courage. Courage to go and share the gospel with someone. Lord, may it just produce compassion. Lord, as we look at one another and also when we look out at an evil, unbelieving world around us. May it produce a a great confidence. Not in ourselves, but in you, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we jump in this, I just want to just ask you how you felt the election went. You know the one that we just did? I'm kind of going to go there just a little bit, but I really do. Uh, how, how do you think the election went? Did the people that you voted for, did, did they win? Were you, were you happy with the results? the results in your local community, the results at the state level? Were you happy with what you saw playing out across our nation? Were you happy with the way the election was run? Yeah, you got to ask that now, I guess. And do you accept the results as being fair and true? Over the years, as I've Gotten older, and this man named Ricardo Davis has been patient with me and has sought to disciple me in the area of uh, my faith and politics. Which I, I, I say this every time I mention him just you, you need to talk to Ricardo, you just do. You, you, need, you need to just ask him questions. If you're thinking something, this here's what I do I go. Okay, I'm thinking this, I've read this here, and I've read that there, and this is the conclusion I'm coming to. And I just, Ricardo is my like dumb test. And what I mean by that is, am I dumb for thinking this, Ricardo? That's kind of the question I ask him. Am I on the right track? Can you pick holes in my thinking politically in regards to my faith? Because I'm I'm like probably most of you. I'm up and down depending on what I'm reading and seeing results. And And then I'm trying to be your pastor. And I'm trying to think about this from a biblical standpoint and saying, okay, what then should I believe about this? And so now I'm getting off track. But anyways, Ricardo has discipled me. And over the years, I've become more invested and more interested in our government and who our elected officials are since really they have quite a bit of influence. They actually have a lot of influence on how our lives function on a day-to-day basis. They're either going to put more money in our pockets or they're going to take it out. They might put us in positions at certain times that we just can't believe in because of our faith or we can't support. And so we give these elected officials significant power. I didn't always used to believe this, but, but it's true. They have a place of authority over our lives, and and they have this ability to make up certain laws. A lot of what takes place politically, both publicly and privately, in the nice way, what I'm going to say is, I'm not sure I like it. It seems like every time I have the opportunity to vote, I'm having to choose between candidates who really don't fully represent me, And my godly beliefs or Christian values. A lot of the times it feels like it comes down to candidates who are really, I'm having to pick between the lesser of two evils. There have also been times when I've struggled to vote at all for this reason. As I've wrestled with the question, should I support someone whom I don't fully agree with? Many times I've supported a third party, fully aware that, they might not really have a chance to be elected, but my conscience wouldn't allow me to vote otherwise. Where I sit today, though, is that there is one issue, one issue that's really important to me, and I think it's really important to our nation, that that I think rises above all other issues at this moment, and this issue is abortion. I will not knowingly support, and I say knowingly because I, I don't know all things, that's why I have a friend, Ricardo. I will not knowingly support any candidate for any office who endorses the killing of babies. I wrestle with this. I wrestle in just, in just trying to think. I, I know how it happens, and I know how we can get there, and so I have compassion. For those who are led in this way or who make decisions to do this. But it's hard for me. After the election, I was just ha- I was riding in the truck with one of my boys, and we were just talking about this and, and just seeing where certain votes had gone in our nation. And I was trying to get my mind around how certain politicians, certain lawmakers can be in a place where, where they, they actually think that they're serving. By writing up a law that says it's okay to kill a child created in the image of God, and and I know there's all sorts of different nuances to it and 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 there's different arguments they make i, I have I have friends who who support people like this, and they would say that it, it's not really about abortion as much as it's about just giving people the freedom to choose. To do whatever it is they want to do. And, and I, honestly, my mind, I can't get my mind around that. I find that very difficult. I, I understand what they're talking about. I think the freedom to choose is, is important. But I don't know that it rises above protecting someone created in the image of God, an unborn child. And part of the reason I'm bringing this to your attention is I just think some things need to be said about it. I also see, probably like you see, our country is really divided on this issue. And it breaks my heart. I'm going to give you an example of this. This is just a place in Montana or the state of Montana. And so they, they had something that they voted on during this midterm election. They, they put forth a bill that the people of Montana voted on. And this this bill was trying to say that healthcare workers needed to make every effort to save an infant's life if they were born into this world, meaning just outside of their mother. If, if a child in the attempt of abortion makes it out into the world and there's a heartbeat and they're alive, they're just saying, you, you have to try to save this child's life. They were trying to make that a law. Just think about it. You have to make that a law to say you've got to save a child's life. And that's what they're trying to do. They're saying, we want to make this a law. We want to save this baby's life. And do you know what the answer was? Eventually they said no. 231,729 people voted against this law. While 209,220 people voted in support of it. It was a very close vote, I think. But in the end, there will be many babies killed as a result of 231,729 people voting in favor of their deaths. I mean, that's really what it is. Being a Christian who fears God and wants to honor Him in all that I do, this, this leaves me discouraged. I don't know where it leaves you, but it, it, it leaves me discouraged. When I look at our culture and I'm left wondering, what should we do? Because it doesn't look like it's, it's moving in a better direction sometimes. Well, I think there's a number of things we should do. I think we should continue to vote against legalizing abortion. I think we should support people who will fight to protect unborn babies. I think we should get involved In this fight where we can. And there are many more things we could do. But one thing I think rises above them all. And we see it here. In the book of Jonah. If we really want to change an evil unbelieving culture. Listen it's real important. If we really want to change an evil unbelieving culture. Then we must embrace the grace of God personally. Through faith and repentance in Jesus Christ alone. And then by the grace of God, go and make disciples of Jesus Christ through the proclamation of the gospel to the world around us. That's really the key. It may sound sort of simple, and it may sound like it doesn't have an effect, but then I'd say, look at Justin Johnson. His testimony proves it. Your testimony and your faith in Christ, it proves it. The gospel transforms us. And so our country doesn't need a new president as much as it needs Jesus Christ. Our state doesn't need to elect Herschel Walker as much as it needs to surrender itself to Jesus Christ as its Lord and Savior. Nineveh, and here's where it connects, Nineveh was an evil, wicked city. Evil, like it doesn't, it doesn't even feel like it does justice. They were just really, really evil, horrific people. But when the grace of God showed up through Jonah's preaching of God's message of grace to them, they were changed by God, from the greatest of them to the least of them. So, in this section of Scripture, we're going to see this change that took place and how they responded to Jonah's word or God's word. In our first point, we see that the people of Nineveh believed in God and repented of their sins. The people of Nineveh believed in God and repented of their sins. And so God had called Jonah a second time to go into the city of Nineveh and proclaim his word to them. And Jonah did what God had called them to do or called him to do. He went about a day's journey into the city and he called out to the Ninevites. Listen, he called out to them and he kind of gave them the bad news. Here's these evil, wicked people doing whatever it is they wanted to do, rejecting God. And God had them in such a place where Jonah comes in and he just says, Yet 40 days, in 40 days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. What what he was saying there is, you have 40 days to live. Because you're wicked, because you're evil, because you're sinning against God, because you're rejecting him. And so as a result, you're going to be judged by God. You have 40 days to live. Now we know from last week, this wasn't probably the only thing Jonah told the people of Nineveh, but it kind of gets their attention, doesn't it? It gets their attention. It's it's, it's a warning. Warnings get our attention. They, they help us see the error of our ways, and they also help us, I think, receive the good news. And so he gives them the bad news, and, and most likely he also warned them that because of their sins and their great evil, God was going to destroy them, but there was hope. There was hope, there was good news, and Jonah had experienced that good news because God got Jonah's attention and saved Jonah. And so Jonah also shares this good news that that if they repent, God might be good and he might be gracious towards them, and they, they might live past 40 days. I'm not sure that he said it exactly like that, but there's probably a version of some good news that he did share. And once he shared all this with the people of Nineveh, we're told in verse 5 the following. And the people of Nineveh, they believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Now this response from the Ninevites, it's nothing short than absolutely amazing. They didn't persecute and kill Jonah, which was one of the things that they were really good at. They didn't sort of just passively ignore him and his words, just kind of hoping that he would fade off into the distance and that he was just some lunatic out there saying certain things and that they could kind of just go about doing what they always did. No, what they did is they actually listened to him. God had prepared them in such a way that when his prophet spoke, his words, their ears were open and their hearts were ready to believe him. To believe him and to trust in the Lord. And they believed him so much so that they called for a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. That just means everybody's doing this. Talk about a culture change taking place. Everybody was doing this. What we have here is a massive revival. This wasn't just a partial revival with a certain group of people believing in God and repenting. Everybody in this city, the greatest to the least, repenting of their sins. Now when we're talking about repentance, we're going to talk a little bit about this. What we're talking about here is, is a heartfelt sorrow for sin. Heartfelt sorrow for sin, a genuine confession of sin an intentional turning away from sin and a passionate pursuit to walk in obedience to God and His ways. And so when you think repentance, you're thinking seeing your sin, turning away from your sin to God and His ways. And so that's what we see sort of taking place with the people of Nineveh. They called for a fast and they put on sackcloth. Fasting in the Bible has several purposes. One of these purposes is a public expression of penitence. It's a way in which people express their sorrow and regret for their sin by giving up food and water in this case, which are vital means to survival, right? We get that? So they're saying, I'm giving up these things that my body physically needs to live, to see the next day. And they're saying, we're giving these things up because we need something greater than food and water. We need God. You can't live long without food and water, but when God says you can't live long, you can't live long. Absolutely dependent upon God for everything. So they fasted, expressing their sorrow for their sins and ultimately their utter dependence upon God to save them. They also put on sackcloth. The only people who wore sackcloth at this time were poor, humble people. The rich and the famous weren't shopping for sackcloth. It it wasn't comfortable. Sackcloth was not a pleasant thing to wear. It was coarse. It was rough and it was uncomfortable. But they all did this with their fasting to express their repentance and their need for God to save them. And it wasn't just the people of Nineveh. It was the king who did this. Verse 6, the word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Again, this is nothing short than amazing. The king of Nineveh believed God and repented of his sins. What we have here is we see a man who has a, a lot of authority, reigning and ruling over this city. And what does he do? He believes God. God's starting to work in his heart. And what he does is he gets off the throne. That's significant. He he humbles himself. He took off his flashy clothing, his expensive robe. That screamed, I'm the most important person in this city. He got rid of that. As he began to repent and he covered himself with sackcloth, just like everyone else. And he didn't get back on his throne, but instead he sat in ashes. This was a sign of sorrow and true humility. You wouldn't expect a king to be sitting in sackcloth on the ground in dirty ashes. But this is what the king did when he believed God and saw the error of his ways or his sins. Now, can you, can you imagine our president doing this? Can you imagine somebody in a position of authority over us in a significant public seat, humbling themselves in this way? It's, it's so hard to imagine. Maybe privately doing this somewhere off here and then kind of leaking it to somebody and telling us that they're a believer so that they might win a vote here and there. But, but, but this is genuine. Off his throne. And then sharing this sort of decree. By the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone, this is key, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. How's that for a state of the union? Listen, he doesn't share anything like this apart from the grace of God at work in his life. But the grace of God was at work in his life. It's amazing when you see the grace of God at work in people's lives because what it does is it changes. It changes us from the inside out. And what we see here is, is a change taking place, leading the people of Nineveh through repentance. The whole land, including all the people and all the animals, were called to fast and put on sackcloth to express their sorrow for their sins. But it didn't stop there, as good as that was. The king went on to lead his people into repentance by calling them to call out mightily to God and to turn from their ways. And so he he wasn't saying, just put on a show. Just, Just look the part. See, repentance is more than looking the part. It looks like obedience. It looks like moving away from our sin towards God and his ways. J.I. Packer writes the following, he says, Repentance is a change of mind issuing in a changed life. Real repentance looks a lot like these Ninevites and what they're doing here. Now, we want to be careful. We want to be really careful here because we're not in heaven yet. And by that, I mean repentance does not equal perfection. These Ninevites weren't perfect. Jonah wasn't perfect. We're going to see that in the next chapter. But there was repentance. We don't see perfection until we get to heaven. But what this does mean is that we're called to fight the good fight of faith. By continually living a life of confession and repentance from our sins, turning away from our sins and back to God. And sometimes that looks like it happens every single day. But what repentance is not, is it's not living in our sin, making room for our sin to remain, acting as if it's not a big deal. What we see here, though, is genuine repentance from the Ninevites as they turned from their evil and violent ways to a renewed faith in God as they called out mightily to him. I think it's safe to assume here that they recognized that their futures were solely dependent upon God, that they had no hope in and of themselves. And God obviously giving them the faith to believe. And the king, I love what he says next. So he decreed this, he says, "Who knows? who knows God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. I think that comes from Jonah, who found himself at the bottom of the sea, trapped about to die, and guess what? God saved him, sent a great fish, swallowed him, brought him back up, spit him out so Jonah probably taught him that God is good and gracious. And so this king is is all in, and he's just, who knows? If we turn from our evil and wicked ways, call out mightily to God, he might just save us. It's amazing. And we know this is how God's grace works. 1 John 1, 5 through 10. Apostle John wrote the following. He says, This is the message we've heard from him and we proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So you, you see how God works. If we confess our sins, if we repent of our sins, we have a good and gracious God who promises to be faithful and just, to forgive us of all of our sins. And so, way back when, the king's saying, Who knows? And today we can say, We know. Without a shadow of a doubt, we have a God who loves to save people. We have a God who loves to be good and gracious, not just to Justin. Not just to you, but to the world around us. Repentance is a gift from God, and he gives it to us through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Richard Phillips writes the following, he says, If Jonah's reemergence from the great fish spurred the Ninevites to a hopeful repentance, how much more ought we be persuaded by the resurrection of Jesus Christ? See, we, don't, we don't have just Jonah's testimony of being saved by God. We have Jesus Christ who died on a cross for all of our sins, paying the full penalty for them all. And he really died. But guess what? That's what Richard Phillips is getting at here. He didn't stay dead. He was raised from the dead in victory over sin and death. And when we look to that, what that should give us is great hope. Great hope that you're never so far beyond the means of God's grace or the need of God's grace, so far that you've you've gone way over the line, that all of a sudden now it's not good enough for you. The gospel encourages us to trust in God. And we know that when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. We can freely repent of all of our sins and know without a shadow of a doubt that God will forgive us through faith in Christ alone. The resurrection gives us hope. So before we move on to our second point and final point, let me ask you just a couple questions. Are you living in your sins? making room for it to remain? Or are you fighting your sin by confessing your sin and repenting of your sin when you sin? I know I said sin a lot there, but the the question behind that is, what are you doing with it? Everybody does it. The question is, are you repenting of it? Are you bringing it out into the light? Are you crying out mightily to God? Are you trusting that the blood of Christ was sufficient to pay the full penalty for it? And by the grace of God, are you seeking to obey the Lord and the things that he's called you to? So this is the next one. What does repentance look like in your life and in your home? Do you repent? It's one of the questions I sort of secretly ask people at different times. I'll just... I guess it's not so secret when I ask it like this, but it's like, I just ask, do you repent in your home? We talked about parenting a lot in Galatians, and I would, I would add this to your parenting. Parent, parenting takes a lot of grace. And I would say one of the, the greatest means of grace that we can give to our kids in, is creating a culture of faith and repentance meaning that when we sin as mom and dad, we, we actually confess that sin and we ask forgiveness for that sin. And we fight that sin together as a family because we know Christ died for all of it. But where there is no culture of repentance, I think that can be confusing. Because scripture is very clear. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all of us need a savior. And when we get saved, guess what? that sin doesn't all go away. It remains. And so we need to fight the temptation to be proud parents who never own our sin. And I'd say the same for you kids. When you sin, repent and receive the grace of God. we we'll move on to the second and final point. So he says, who knows? Maybe God will save us. On point two, we learn that God didn't destroy the people of Nineveh because they repented of their sins. The king of Nineveh was hoping that what Jonah had told him about God's grace in his life would be true for him and his people too. Again, just maybe, if we repent, if we believe, if we turn away from doing evil and wicked things, God just might be gracious to us. And so, what did God do when he saw all that the Ninevites were doing? Verse 10 says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he didn't do it. Now, the big question here, as I've studied this thing, is is if God is unchanging, then what does this really say about God relenting? Did God just change? That's, That's sort of the simple version of the question, and I'll give you the simple answer. No, God didn't change. He said he was going to do one thing, and he didn't end up doing that one thing, but, but it wasn't quite said like that. So God didn't change here. He's, he's an unchanging God. The complex answer, I'm going to share what John McKay writes. He says this, when God announces that his judgment is about to fall upon the sinful, it is a statement of what will inevitably happen if they continue on their present course. But it is a conditional statement. It is intended to alert the wayward and bring them to repentance. If that occurs, then God responds appropriately to the changed circumstances. Though it may not be explicitly stated, the announcement of impending disaster is conditioned on continued disobedience, just as enjoyment of blessings of God's covenant is conditioned on obedience. You know, it's kind of a mouthful. But what he's saying there is God did not change. What he said is God sends Jonah in there, and he says, if you don't change, if you stay in your unbelieving state, you will not last 40 days. But they didn't stay in that unbelieving state because God gave them grace, and as a result, God didn't punish them. And this is good news, and it's good news not just for the Ninevites, it's good news for us too. If God punished everyone for their sins when they sinned, guess how many people would be alive today? None. But we have a good and gracious God who will punish people who remain in their sin, trusting in themselves, rejecting Jesus Christ. Their outcome in life is death and the wrath of God. He's very clear on that. Let me share how clear he is. John three sixteen says, "...for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life." For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only son of God. Do you understand that? God is going to do what God says he's going to do. If you do not believe in Jesus Christ, you will perish. Very similar to what the Ninevites were hearing. Bad news. Forty days, you're going to be overthrown. But there's also this good news. God's not just true to punish those who don't trust in Christ. He's also true in blessing those who do trust in Christ. And so now it comes down to is a choice. Do you want to remain in your sins and perish? Do you want to continue your evil and wicked ways, ignoring God, doing whatever it is you want to do, whenever it is you want to do, because it makes you happy today, knowing, knowing that you will perish for that life? Or do you want to trust in Christ as the one who lived a perfect life on your behalf and died a sacrificial death, spilling out all of his blood as payment for all of your sins so that you would be forever forgiven? And give an eternal life. The good news is found in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the power to save people. This is the message that we need to hear every day. Every day. This is the message that we need to teach our children in the next generation. This is the message that we need to share with our neighbor. This is the only message that will radically transform an evil, unbelieving culture. I'm not saying don't vote. I'm not saying don't, don't get involved in these things. But, but what's, what's, what's really most important, the thing that will, will ultimately get you kind of what you, you really want if you're a believer, is not voting for the right person every time. But what it is, is trusting in Jesus personally and then sharing that good news with as many people as possible. You want to make a difference? Share the gospel with your neighbor. You want to make a difference? Faithfully teach your kids who Jesus Christ is. You want to make a difference? Ask Ricardo. He'll help you get involved in different ways. Ricardo has been doing this for years. Godly man proclaiming the gospel to as many people as he possibly can. He'll do it loud and he does it quietly. But our hope, again, our hope ultimately is not in casting the right vote. Our hope is in going and making disciples of Jesus Christ, trusting alone in him to save people. He radically changes cultures. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I ask that you would pour out your spirit upon us, Lord, and that you would would help us to live a life that pleases you, that honors you, that glorifies you in everything that we do. Help us to pick up a cross and follow Jesus. Lord, I ask that you would give us all an opportunity to uh, share the gospel with somebody, to be a friend and go and make disciples Lord, with unbelievers around it, may it be a neighbor, may it be somebody we go to school with or work with or just randomly meet one day. Lord, would you help us be faithful to the mission that you've called us to? And Lord, we ask that the gospel would penetrate our politicians' hearts. Lord, we ask that the gospel would would just penetrate this evil, unbelieving culture like it has with our own hearts, and it would radically bring about a change that honors and glorifies you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. May the Lord bless you. May he pour out his spirit upon you. May you experience his mercy and his grace in abundance. Have a great Sunday.